0: I'm in a series that I've entitled Where the Power Is. And the reason that I'm calling this series that, and by that title, is because you are going to come to a point in the course of your life where the enemy is going to block your advancement. He will do his best to block your advancement, I promise you. Whether it's in your marriage or whether it's in your finances, sooner or later, everybody comes to a glass ceiling. You come to the point that you've gone as far as you are able to go. And the enemy is not going to get out of the way. And if you say, excuse me, would you let me around you? He's going to ignore you. And if you say, get out of my way, he's going to look at you and laugh. And you say, pretty please. And he's going to really laugh at you. You have to have something that will force him out of the way because it is the enemy's job to obstruct your destiny. He lost his when he was cast out of heaven. He was the worship leader of all of heaven. Imagine that. And when he forfeited his destiny and realized the anguish of living without a cause and there's nothing more miserable and empty than that he set about to rob you of your destiny and all of humanity in fact and you have to have something working for you strong enough to get him out of the way and i call those power encounters and that's why i've titled the series where the power is i keep i keep coming back to that each time that our guest evangelist has to be away. To those of you online, you know exactly what I'm talking about. To inspire online, you've been at places where you know you can't go any further. I'm turning to a text in the Bible that is very familiar to everyone who is watching or who is here. And this is found in First Kings 19 it is by definition a power encounter in verse one and ahab told jezebel all that elijah had done also how he executed all the prophets with the sword then jezebel sent a messenger to elijah saying so let the gods do to me and more also If I do not make your life as the life of one of them that you've killed by tomorrow about this time And when he saw that And did you get that? I, I, I've got you to got to make sure you see it when he saw that not when he heard that We'll get to this in a minute But when he saw it He arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah and left his servant there. Verse four, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, what the King James called a juniper tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life right now for I'm no better than my father's. Lord, I ask you to speak to us today. Open your word to our understanding. Let the principles of your word be the guiding principles of our life. Illuminate your word through teaching today. And be revealed through your word to everyone who is here. That you may be glorified in Jesus name. And everybody shouted and said amen. amen. I will to say again it sure is good to see you in the house of the Lord. Amen. So glad you're coming back to church. Here's this incredible story. I want you to see the irony in these verses. Elijah has just had this incredible power encounter on Mount Carmel with King Ahab and the prophets of Baal. He had prayed three and a half years earlier and God closed up the heavens. Zip. And not a drop of rain had fallen for three and a half years. God was calling Israel into account for their idolatry and their sins. And now it was time to deal with the issue of idolatry. Elijah sent word to King Ahab. I want you to meet me with all of the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth on Mount Carmel. And we're going to have a showdown and we're going to see who is God and who is real. Either it's Jehovah or it's Baal and this Ashtarah that you guys are worshiping. Gods are supposed to be powerful, right? And they're able to do things that mere mortals can't. So this was the proposition that Elijah set forth. The God that answers by fire, we're going to declare to be the real true God. And so he challenged King Ahab and the people, and these were the words he said, how long are you gonna waver between two opinions? You don't know whether to go this way with Jehovah or go this way over here with Baal. You're caught in the middle. And that's how bad the situation had become in Israel, that a nation that knew God at one time had now drifted to where they didn't even know who God was anymore. For all the world, it reminds me of the situation that much of America is in right now. And we look at this this uh, circumstance and we see what is happening in this story. And and it's almost like, God, we need a power encounter right here in America, amen. And so Elijah said, I want all of you to gather. We're gonna gather on Mount Carmel. We're gonna build two altars. You, the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth will build one. I'll build one to Jehovah God. You'll sacrifice your sacrifice, cut it up, lay it out on the altar. I'll do the same. And then we're gonna pray. And whichever God responds to prayer, that's gonna be Jehovah God. And all the people looked at each other and said, Uh, oh, sounds like a plan to me. I can almost imagine the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth like were, <clears throat> uh-oh, <laughs> cause they knew their God was powerless. They were under pressure. Everybody shows up, it's a big day. And Elijah sits back and he's chilling. And he says, you guys go first to the other team. And so they get the kickoff, right? And so they're praying and praying and nothing is happening. And they get more intense and in their, their manner of worship, they would cut themselves until they bled. <laughs> I hate when worship becomes painful. <laughs> Some people's worship bleeds and theirs did. They cut themselves until the ground is splattered red with blood. And Elijah doesn't say a thing. He's just like, mm, bring me another Coke Zero. And finally at noon, he gets up and leans up on his elbow and says, hey guys, maybe y'all need to shout a little louder because maybe Baal went on a journey. (laughs) And then he says, maybe he's taking a nap and you need to wake him up. And I'm not making this up. The original says, maybe he's using the restroom and he's indisposed and you can't hear him. He can't hear you rather. And so if you shout louder, you might get his attention. And so they prayed and they pleaded until finally the afternoon came. And it was the time of the evening sacrifice. And Elijah says, okay, guys, time's up. You've had your chance out of the way. And so he walks over to his altar and he says to the people around, go get 12 barrels of water. And they dig a trench around the altar to hold the water. And he says, dump it on the altar and on the sacrifice. And the whole thing is drenched and the water is standing. And water is very precious, remember, because there's been a three and a half year drought. And what Elijah is getting ready to show folk is, you think it's hard and their God is having a tough time dealing with it. But the God I serve, huh, this is easy stuff, man. You may think it's a problem to heal cancer, but it isn't to God. (laughs) You may think your situation is impossible, but God says, easy. Amen. All you gotta do is touch him and he'll deal with the situation. Oh, hear what I'm saying. And so Elijah just simply prays a prayer. Let the God that is God answer by fire. Whoa, there's a clap, of thunder, a flash of lightning. And not only is the sacrifice consumed and the water, but the stones of the altar are consumed. They're vaporized. And everybody's like. (gasps) And Elijah says, seize the false prophets and kill them. And he kills 850 of them. And Elijah looks over at King Ahab and says, you better get in your chariot And you better head on up to high ground in Samaria Because it's been three and a half years since it rained I'm the guy who stopped it from raining I'm getting ready to pull the cork out right now I'm going to pray God's going to open heaven And you better not be in the valley Because just like it's been dry, it's getting ready to get wet And Ahab took one one look at Elijah and said, okay. Got in his chariot and took off and Elijah prayed that famous prayer where he sent the prophet's servant to the top of the hill and asked, what do you see? And finally the seventh time he said, I'll see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And that's when it started raining and it rained. Man, did it ever rain. Now, between me and you, that's a power encounter (laughs) I mean fire from heaven that not only consumes the sacrifice but even the stones of the altar and the same day he prays and a torrential rain ends a three and a half year drought I mean like that's an endorsement from God That's like God's stamp of approval we're in an election campaign cycle and so it's almost like God confronts the false prophets and says my name is Jehovah God and I approve the message and the messenger amen Wow for fire to fall and consume the sacrifice and the water and even the stones to me That's about as total and as complete an an endorsement as you can possibly get from heaven. Talk about God's man a power for the hour. Elijah is, man, he is the man. And I'm thinking by the time Jezebel hears the news, this is what I'm imagining is going through Elijah's mind. When she hears that I called fire down from heaven and consumed the altar and the sacrifice and even the stones and It's raining because I prayed, she's gonna fall down on her knees and she's gonna repent right there That's what I, I think he was believing would happen But instead When Ahab goes in and says baby Baby girl Elijah just called fire down from heaven, humiliated your prophets, and then killed all of them. And on top of that, the reason it's raining is because he prayed and God heard his prayer. And she says, with murderous rage, you tell him that I am going to make him like one of my prophets that's dead by this time tomorrow there's no revival she doesn't repent she gets mad and elijah the bible says when he saw this not when he heard it when he saw it because our minds do not think in terms of abstract words we think in terms of thought pictures for example if i say the word fence f-e-n-c-e Some of you are thinking picket fence, some of you are thinking, you know, uh cyclone fence. Some of you are thinking, you know, a a fence that's a wall, but you don't think F-E-N-C-E because God didn't create your brain to work that way. God created your brain to work in terms of thought pictures. And so what Elijah is doing right now, when Jezebel sends him word that tomorrow about this time, you're gonna be like my prophets. That you killed, he sees himself kneeling down Stretching his neck out on the chopping block The executioner taking the sword and whack And his head goes bloop, 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 bloop And he becomes terrified And this is what I need you to understand Because God's man of power for the hour Doesn't have any more power any longer And the great man of faith, his faith is suddenly like, whoop, it's gone, disappeared. He's now terrified and he's suffering because of his fear. He's thinking about the projected outcome and his his reaction to fear is to go into deep depression. And so doesn't that strike you as a little odd? And so he starts running. And he runs with his servant and Elijah apparently was, I mean, he was all sinew and bone and muscle. He could run. He outran Ahab in his chariot, the Bible says it. And he runs and he's running in the opposite direction and he comes to Beersheba and he stops long enough to tell the servant, you can't run as fast as I can, you stay here and he takes off so he can run even faster. And he runs a whole day's journey. And finally comes to a bush, a juniper tree, they call it a broom tree over there and sits down and say, and says, okay, God, it's enough. Take my life. And God says, almost, I can almost hear God saying it to him. You got to be serious. If you wanted somebody to take your life, all you had to do is stay right there in Samaria. Jezebel would have obliged you very quickly. She would have taken care of you by this time tomorrow. Elijah is talking out of hyperbole based upon his emotion, his fear, his depression. And then he says this because fear always makes you over exaggerate the circumstance. I'm the only one left. There's nobody else that loves you. And God says, Elijah, I got 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. You're supposed to be the visionary holding up the standard, the man of God, inspiring people to serve Jehovah God. You're supposed to be the one encouraging people to worship the true and living God. And here you are panicking and you've lost your vision. You've lost your faith. And now then you're saying you're the only one left. And you're wallowing in self-pity, mired down in depression. And so today, I waited till now to give you the title of my message. And I'm already well into it and won't be long preaching it. My subject today is the power in right versus wrong emotions. That even God's man of power for the hour got sidetracked because he allowed the wrong emotions to get a hold of his heart. And here's the point. If you don't control your emotions, they will control you. I wish I could hear an amen. amen. Listen, to the biblical formula. Philippians four, six through seven, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, that's intercession. You have the power to move heaven. To work in your behalf with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god and if you give god your request in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving for what he's already done it said the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and minds through christ jesus God will stand there and protect your thinking. And protect your emotions. But he will only do it if you pray. In times of need. And with intercession and thanksgiving. And that's where most of us get off track. We don't take it to the Lord in prayer. I'm preaching better than you're responding. Hallelujah. I like to say that. Amen. In fact, you don't even have to respond. I'll say it myself. Pastor, you're really preaching today. (laughs) Amen, and I am. You see, the real problem with Elijah is that he's allowed his feelings rather than his faith to make his decisions for him. When you allow your feelings to make your decisions for you rather than allowing faith to make your decisions for you, it's not gonna turn out real well. So verse three says when he saw not when he heard what she said When he saw what she said because he converted her words into mental images And with elijah his fear his depression his loss of vision His lack of commitment All of it stemmed from one thing Thinking the wrong thoughts And that produced the wrong emotions and you know what I'm talking about by the wrong emotions. It's feelings, right? Go on, everybody say that word, feelings. feelings. Hit it, Lindsay, feelings. 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 <laughs> for my life of feelings. <laughs> I wish I'd never met you, girl. I wish I'd never met you, girl. Yeah, feelings. We let our feelings get a hold of us. We've been betrayed, we've been through bad circumstances, we've been, we've lost a job. And our feelings begin to run our lives, and in running our lives, they ruin our lives. Yeah, I'm gonna preach. Amen. So how many times have you allowed feelings to make your decisions for you? And how many times have you lived to regret it? We all have. And here's the issue. You say, why does God even care? The problem is if you don't control what is going on inside of you, you will never control what's going on around you. Give the Lord some praise on that one. In fact, I'm going to say that again. And you need to write it down. If you don't control what's going on inside of you, you will never master what's going on around you. And this is why so many people are at the mercy of their circumstances. Where do these bad emotions come from? Feelings. Feelings. You could just melt in a big old puddle right here, feelings Wish I never met you or guy or whatever the situation may be. With Elijah's, I've already said, it started with his thinking. He couldn't get the image of Jezebel coming after him out of his mind. And he kept playing that same image and recording over and over and over and over. And what you have to do to be able to get out of that is stop picturing the scene that you're replaying in your mind. The hurt, the betrayal, what somebody did to you, you got to let it go. Hallelujah to the lamb, let it go With many of us, it's often caused by the way that we process the negatives That happen to us during the course of our lives And by negatives, I mean the father and mother wounds that many of us carry The abandonment The rejection issues The self-esteem issues because those things have in turn positioned us to be more needy and responsive to the wrong kind of pressure. And we give in and we do things because we need acceptance. Because our esteem, our self-esteem is so low. We don't process things correctly. And like I said, it could have been A relationship, it could have been a divorce It could have been the loss of a career But we don't let it go And so we live our lives on the basis of these wounds that we carry And you might ask why would God even care about emotions You might be sitting out there saying today or at home saying these words Why are you discussing this on a Sunday morning pastor? Why not preach the word, you know? Preach the Bible, why talk about emotions? Is that even in the Bible? Here's why, because your emotions can have a profound effect on your spirituality, profound. Amen. Why would I address this on a Sunday morning? And does the Bible talk about emotions? Am I preaching the word? Yeah, the Bible is full of emotions. You can start all the way back in Genesis and you remove the the emotion of love from the Bible. I challenge you to tell me if this book has any more value or not. Because you take love out of the Bible. And man, you know what you did? You just removed Abraham's love for God You removed the story of Jacob's love for Rachel And how he served 14 years for her hand in marriage You just deleted Ruth telling Naomi Wherever you go, I will go Your God will be my God Your people will be my people Don't ask me to to separate from you You would remove David's passion for God And his great example as a worshiper And not only that You would remove Christ's love for us you would remove John 3:16, for God so loved the world. You would remove 1 Corinthians 13. Now abides these three: faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You would strip the Bible of its meaning if you didn't include the emotion of love. So the question is: does God care about our emotions? Well, obviously. Because he sure put a lot about it in the word. And if so, the question is, why? And that is the big question. I want you to understand that God knows that not learning to master your emotions in a positive way will hold you back from being who he created you to be for the rest of your life. You will not fulfill the destiny that God gave you if you don't learn to master your emotions. Do you really think God was through with Elijah at that point? No, he had just achieved the greatest success of his ministry and career man he should have been at the forefront leading all of israel to revival i mean think about it if he had enough faith to call fire down from heaven consume the sacrifice the water the stones pray and the heavens would be closed for three and a half years pray again and they would be open i got a feeling there's feelings again feelings i have an idea that he could have said god deal with jezebel And God would have dealt with Jezebel. But instead, Elijah abandons the destiny that he should have fulfilled. And instead of leading Israel to an overwhelmingly positive state of revival, he walks away and says, I'm the only one left. Take my life and he gets bogged down in self-pity. You see, because not only does the Bible talk about the positive emotions like love, it also talks about some people who were filled with the wrong kind of emotions. What would the Bible be like if it didn't include the story of the anger of Cain who killed his brother Abel because God accepted his sacrifice. You know that his anger wasn't really toward Abel, right? It was toward God. Because the Bible said that Abel offered first fruits or gave his tithe, Cain just gave an offering. So God blessed because he, the principle of the Word of God is: you give your tithe, God will open heaven. And so it just happened. Abel gave his tithe, and he naturally was blessed. And Cain gave his offering, and. And he was a little blessed, but not nearly as much. And he got mad. It wasn't really at Abel. It was really at God. But since you can't fight God, your arms are too short to box with God. He goes and kills his brother. You see. Or take the jealousy of Joseph's brother. Brothers out of the Bible and that story and how their hatred of Joseph moved them to sell him into slavery Or take the resentment that Saul had for David out of the Bible And how he spent years trying to chase him down and kill him Take the animosity of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Bible toward Christ Out of the word of God and how it led them to crucify Jesus Take all that out of the Bible Wouldn't be the Bible anymore So in answer to the question that I posed a moment ago, does God care about emotions? Seems to me he does, because I sure put a lot of it in the word of God. In fact, I'll point this out about the story of Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If people can get so emotional, they feel justified in killing Jesus. They probably won't be bothered much by anything they say or do to you. If they get stirred up enough And so For society to exist This book holds a plan And that plan is You don't allow your emotions To just run rampant You master them according To the word of God To do that you have to learn a few things And I want to go through a couple of them And then I'm done First of all you've got to recognize that God created you To have feelings Yeah he did Emotions are not bad in and of themselves god created you to have them even hatred even anger the bible said be angry and sin not Times you need to be upset you need to be upset at some of the things that are going on in our world It also david said i hate every false way The psalmist did You need to have hatred in your heart toward some of these things did you know that houston texas is the number one city in america for human trafficking, we should hate that, we should hate it. But it is, sex trafficking goes on in this city like you cannot imagine. God created you to have emotions. He made us to be creatures that have emotions within us. And those emotions can help us stay balanced in life if they themselves or balanced good feelings like love hope joy peace those promote and nurture and this is where I'm really going with it an environment where faith can thrive you see many people don't realize there's a connection, connection between emotions and faith and they're sitting out you're you know if you're watching this at home or you're here you may very well be sitting out there saying but pastor the bible said faith comes by hearing and that by the word of god yes it does but did you know your emotions can determine whether that faith has an environment to thrive and grow in or not i'm going to show you you remember whenever the 12 spies came back From spying out the land Ten of them had a bad report They were afraid And they told Israel And Israel's knees were knocking together And they were afraid Here's my point Their emotions killed the environment Where faith could live The wrong emotion destroyed their faith I don't believe that Joshua and Caleb Went out there and saw anything different Than the other ten spies saw they saw the same giants. They saw the same problems. They saw the same walled cities. They came back and you know what they said? They said, yup, there are some giants out there, but God said we can take them so we can take them. They chose to act not on the basis of fear, but on the promises of God almighty and you have got to do the very same thing. You can live your life in the wrong emotions and that chokes the faith right out of you. And that's why you have believers that have been in church for many, many years. They're wonderful, wonderful children of God, amazing. They love God with all of their heart, but they've never grown in faith. The reason is they never understood the connection between emotions. And faith, and every time they get a little of the word in their heart, and their faith begins to increase, Satan goes boo, and they go ah, feelings, and they lose their their faith. Now, please do understand, as I wrap this up, that I am not talking about suppressing your emotions as though you're some kind of automaton. I'm not asking you to do that. God doesn't want you to walk around like you're on too much medication. How you doing? Fantastic. I got a doctor to give me the good stuff. No. not asking you to do that look at Romans 14 17 for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but it is righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit did you get that two-thirds of the kingdom of God is emotions righteousness or right living is only one-third yet we were taught all of our lives that the kingdom of God is about how you live that's only part of it it's only a third of it 66 and two-thirds percent of the kingdom is peace and joy in the holy spirit that's emotions peace and joy are emotions and that means the kingdom of god affects your feelings amen now the truth is though That even when you're in the kingdom, as I said, you've got to manage your emotions. And so the Bible identifies a number of wrong emotions. I don't believe you probably have ever looked at it like this before because I've never heard this taught ever. But in Galatians 9, or rather Galatians 5, I'm sorry, verse 19 through 21, it identifies the works of the flesh that are carnal. And this is what it said. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you before, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's what you didn't notice. At least nine of those works of the flesh are emotions. Wow. You never heard that before, did you? In fact, the argument could be made that not only nine of the works of the flesh are carnal and are emotions, but the rest of them grow out of the wrong emotions. And God said, you're governed by your emotions you're not going to inherit the benefits of the kingdom of god because these emotions are crowding out what i could do in your life and destroying the faith i'm trying to place in you to grow kingdom productivity on the other hand If you will look at the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 through 23. Watch this. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. All of those could be understood to either be emotions or attitudes. Or certainly what grows out of the right emotions. So over here, you have this big category that are called works of the flesh. And when you look at them, you will find out many of those are simply emotions. Just emotions taken. And over here you have the other nine fruits of the spirit. And those are the right emotions. Feelings by themselves are unreliable. How do I know that as a pastor from time to time? I have people come up to me and say pastor. I feel like God has left me Anybody in this building ever feel that way could I see your hand, please? Come on, raise your hand be honest be honest. I won't talk to you right now I've been there done that got the t-shirt the whole thing just like you but what's this now i know that my that feeling is unreliable why because he said i will never leave you nor forsake you he's there even when i don't feel he is there so what do I do if my feelings say, he's not here? I say, feelings, you are wrong. He is here. He said, if I take the wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost parts of the sea, he's there. If I make my bed in the grave, he is there. That's exactly what the word of God says. So feelings are unreliable. And when you talk about feelings, it is amazing the number of Christian people that act surprised as though they think emotions are beyond their control. They will even say things like, I can't help how I feel. Don't ever say that because it's not really true. The question is, can you control your feelings or your emotions? Science tells us that we can actually influence our feelings toward the right direction. You can actually move your emotions or your feelings in the right way to be what they should be when they're not. And understand, that doesn't mean we shut down emotionally, but rather... It means that we're balancing our emotions by the teachings of the word of God. I want to give you a couple of experiments. And I've done this, I think, two other times and and maybe three times in the history that I've been here as your pastor during the years. And I'm in my 34th year. So it's about once a decade, but I'm going to do something right now. And I want I want you to please, if you will, honor me. Now, some of you, some of you are too old to be able to do this. I'll let you decide if you fit in that category. But those of you that can, and you will participate with me, humor your pastor. I want you to stand up if you would get ready. Come on, stand up, stand up. How many will help me out? Amen. Chris, I know you will, Amen. amen. Now I want you, on the count of three, I want you to jump up and down three times and I want you to shout and say, boy, I'm excited. On the count of three. One, two, three. Boy, I'm excited. Boy, I'm excited. Boy, I'm excited. (laughs) Feels like revival in here right now. Somebody give God some praise in the house. Now you be seated, maybe seated. And I'm gonna tell you what just happened. They did a study at Harvard university where they discovered the effect that actions have upon emotions. We've always thought that our emotions affected our actions. So if I feel like it, I'm going to church. If I feel like it, I'm going to worship. If I feel like it, I'm going to read my Bible. If I feel like it, I'm going to tithe. If I feel like it, if I feel like it, if I feel like it. You see where I'm coming from? And that has an effect upon us spiritually. Yes, it does. Because if we don't feel like it, we don't do it. And what they discovered is if you will do it, the feeling will come afterward. Somebody in the building shout hallelujah. I just noticed, is that Jade? Presidential candidate right there. Don't forget that on Tuesday, okay? Amen. I just saw her. She's been out busy campaigning. But watch this, this is what I'm trying to tell you. Your emotions are immediately subject to your actions. And if your emotions are not what they need to be, do what you would be doing if your emotions were already right. And the emotions will follow. It's the inversion effect. Amen. Now I'm gonna show you exactly what I'm talking about right now. I have in my hand one hundred and fifty dollars. Fifty. One hundred and fifty, right here. One hundred and fifty smackaroos. Now you got to understand. <laughs> first service only gave out fifty, but somebody came and put some more money in my hand. They liked what I was doing, and so, Amen. And I'm gonna do something. My brother, right there on the aisle, right? Yeah, you, you pointed your finger at your chest first, right behind, okay? Right, no, 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 that's you. Turn around and look backward. You right there, let's see. No, no, the one right behind you, sir. I already had picked him out. Would you please come up here? Amen. I don't know, what's what's your name, my brother? Ben? Yeah, I remember you long. You, you pulled all that down just a like, Of course I know who you are. <laughs> Sitting so far back, I didn't recognize you. I'm sorry. This is $150. That is for you. Now, you've got to do something. Before I give it, you've got to turn around, take your mask down. I'm going to put something in your hand. Just hold your hand up. Face the congregation, take your mask down. There's a reason for this. I want to know is he smiling right now? <laughs> Thank you and bless you, Philly Dear. Bless you, sir. Amen. Somebody give God some praise in the house. Would you do that? Hallelujah. You see, here's the deal. I decided to do this four weeks ago. He didn't know, so his feelings did not match the reality of my decision that I had made four weeks ago. But once I gave it to him, you see, we've got a heavenly father that says, I decided before you were born, I have plans for your life. I want to bless you. I want to prosper you. I want to heal you. I want to anoint you. Somebody give God some praise in this house. Woo. And we're walking around like. And God had already made the decision to bless us. Somebody in this house needs to hear what I'm saying. You're going through a rough place, but God already has written blessing over your life. Blessing beside your name. Anointed beside your future. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. God's already declared you're blessed coming in and you're blessed going out. You're blessed when you sit down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give him some praise. Somebody could get healed right now. Somebody could be filled with the Holy Spirit right now. Somebody could have a breakthrough right now. You see, in the natural realm, Feelings Have significance But the order of their significance Is reversed in the natural realm Behavior Influences Feelings That's the natural realm. It's the reverse of what we thought But in the kingdom There's a different equation In the kingdom, faith supersedes feeling. And so the kingdom equation goes like this. Amen. Faith precedes emotion. And emotion precedes behavior. That is to say that if you will believe the word of God, it will change the way you think and feel. And that's going to affect your life from that time forward. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, give God some praise in the house right now. So you must train your emotions. A few years ago, there was a movie out, a kid's movie. I didn't watch it. Our kids are all grown and grandkids in different homes. now. My wife saw it with one of our grandchildren. I asked her about it, but the movie is entitled How to Train Your Dragon. You got some dragons that need to be trained and this is how you do it. Your emotions or your dragon or the dragon is your emotions in Colossians 3 and 32 set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. The word set means to exercise Woo. exercise your affection. Sometimes it takes some work to get your affections in the right place. They don't just move there because you asked them to. And so in life, this is the way it works out. You either have your human emotions that control your life or you say, I choose to live by the principles of the word of almighty God, they will control my emotions. It's a spirit controlled temperament. Would you stand across the building, please? Train your dragon, look at somebody near you. Say, train your dragon. This is what I want you to do. The next time a family member blows up, y'all ready? They just blow up, say, look at him and say, train your dragon. Amen. Okay? Next time you feel like Elijah, feeling oh, train your dragon. If you gotta go look in the mirror and point your finger at yourself, say, buddy, train your dragon. Don't give in to the wrong emotions. I'm done. And to those at home that need the Lord in their life, to those in this room, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. But before I do, I want to ask how many people in this room today are watching this at home need to train their dragon. Would you do that? yeah bring it under control of the Holy Spirit bring it under control of the Holy Spirit Father I pray right now that you would help us as believers to do that to get so much of your word in our hearts that Lord your word will temper our emotions and create an environment where faith can thrive instead of be crushed and diminished